I have a confession to make up front. I am terrible when it comes to reading instruction manuals. I really detest reading instruction manuals. If somebody gives me a gizmo, I don't read the instruction manuals. I press every button until one works. That's the absolute truth. By the same token, I genuinely admire people who are persistently and meticulously can read operating manuals and follow it. I deeply appreciate people who follow instructions step by step by step. And it works for me the same way with my sense of direction. Many of you know this. Every time I try to follow my instinct uh, driving somewhere, I don't end up in another city. I end up in another state. <laughs> Even people, when they give me direction, I still get lost. Many years ago, I was asking for direction in New York City. Just think about that. And I thought, well, this guy in the uh, newsstand, you know, he would know. So, and I just wanted to know which way is north. So I said, sir, which way is north? He yelled at me. I mean, he said, listen, look here, buddy. He said, we have uptown, we have downtown, we have crosstown, but we have no north. (laughs) I must confess to you that now, at this age, I kind of laugh at myself. I really do. I laugh at myself for uh, my not able to read instruction or not being able to follow instruction books or whatever it is, but I can tell you when it comes to the spiritual instruction book, it is not a laughing matter. That operating manual that is given to us by God, if we don't read it regularly, if we don't read it carefully, if we don't follow it closely, the lostness can be very serious, very serious indeed. I read some time ago about a professor at Oxford University Medical School, and apparently he has this standard lecture that he gives to the, what we call here in America, freshmen. They don't call them that in England, the newcomers to the medical school at Oxford University. And he was trying to impress upon these new students the absolute importance of paying attention to the minutest detail. And so, in order to emphasize his point, in order to get their attention to focus on details, he held a bottle of liquid in his hand. And he said to the students, he said, you can sometimes diagnose a disease by dipping your index finger in this liquid and then place it at the tip of your tongue. And then he passed that small bottle of liquid around to all the students. And sure enough, as each of them got that bottle of liquid, they dipped their index finger and put it at the tip of their tongue. They thought they were doing exactly what the professor did. And then when they all finished, he looked at them and said, you know, I want to show you that you were not paying attention to the details. The truth is, You could never diagnose a patient's disease by tasting his urine. (laughs) And then he continued. (laughs) He said, I placed my index finger in the bottle, then I drew my hand toward my mouth. But none of you noticed that. Well, that is a hard lesson to learn. (laughs) But I can tell you, 
truthfully as I have been watching and listening that many a church today refuse to follow God's only instruction manual. Some of these are preachers and teachers and authors. And that is why I have been imploring you in the past several messages not only to regularly read and heed and obey the Word of God. Please hear me right, because it's very important. Because it is not what I say, ultimately. It is not what they say. It is what the Word of God says. But for a maximum impact in your life, for a maximum benefits in your life, I want to tell you today about seven deadly sins that you must not commit as you read the Word of God. Seven deadly sins that you must avoid at any cost when you begin reading the Word of God. Some of you will say, well, Michael, why do you start with the negative? Well, if I don't start with the negative, you want to know the positive when it comes through. The first deadly sin is proof texting. Proof texting. What is proof texting? Okay, let me put you to the test. What have I been saying for decades that I have been privileged to preach in this place? Put the text where? In its context. (laughs) When you take a text out of its context, that's called proof texting. In other words, you basically take the text out and run with it. I want to give you an example. In fact, with every one of those, I'm going to give you examples from the Scripture so you know practically what I'm talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. The Apostle Paul said, The Lord said to me, My strength becomes perfect in your weakness. So, a person who's struggling with some moral weakness and who's trying to get the victory over his moral or her moral weakness, we see this text and said, Guru, hooray, this text is for me, that God's strength will be perfect. In me, I don't need to deal with these moral issues. No, that is not what it means, because the Apostle Paul is talking about physical illness, physical ailment that he had experienced. And he said, three times I prayed, Lord, heal me, but the Lord did not heal me. In fact, he said to me, that my strength will become perfect in your physical weakness. Sometimes God blesses people in spite of their physical weakness. In fact, sometimes I believe He blesses us because of some of those physical weaknesses. I know of a man who had amazing gift of healing, really was, and yet he himself suffered a great deal. You see, that's what Paul is saying. He's not talking about moral weakness. He's not talking about things that we need to repent of. So, in context, you would understand it that it is something to do with physical ailment that he was living with, because not doing that is called proof texting. And, beloved, let me tell you, if you proof text, you're going to find yourself up a creek without a paddle. Now, you've been forewarned. Second deadly sin about reading the Bible that you must avoid at any cost is that you need to know when to take the Scripture literally and when you take it figuratively 
Uh-oh, Michael is saying you don't take the whole Bible literally. Wait, wait, wait. Be patient. Because if you understand, there are certain linguistic principles, whether it be in the Hebrew or the Aramaic or even in the Greek language, but mostly in the Semitic language, there are certain things, there are certain linguistic rules and principles that you must understand. I'll give you an example. There is something in the Hebrew language, in all the Semitic languages really, known as Hebraic hyperbole. Something so important. It's vitally important. It is so serious that you have to exaggerate the point in order to realize the seriousness of it. That's what it means. Again, the example is when Jesus said, if your eye causes you to stumble, do what? Gouge it out, right? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if your eyes ever cause you to stumble. I'm not going to ask you, but I'm going to raise both hands. I am looking at you. I see some glasses, but I don't see too many gouged eyes. So you understand what I'm trying to tell you. Why? Because this is what you call Semitic hyperbole. Our Lord is saying that this is something so, so very, very important that you must not allow anything to get in the way of accomplishing it. Don't allow anything to get in the way of you entering into heaven. Don't allow anything to get in the way of you being saved. Don't allow anything to get in the way of you going to heaven. And because he has to make that point, he blows it up so you can see it. And so Jesus is saying, it is vitally important for a Christian believer. I'm talking to believers now. I'm not talking to non-Christians. Christian believers not to allow their eyes to constantly wander in lust and in envy and in greed and the rest of it. It's so dangerous. It's so dangerous that could impact your eternity. Or take, for example, the communion. Our Lord Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. What, did he cut a piece of his flesh and got him to bite on it? No. It's symbolism. The body symbolizes, the bread symbolizes his body, and the wine symbolizes his blood that was going to be shed on the cross. See, the same thing, if I am speaking any of the Semitic languages, I will get a picture out of my pocket and I'll say to you, this is my grandson. So, no, that's not your grandson. In English, you would say, this is a picture of my grandson, right? But in the Hebrew language, they don't speak that way. So, you have to understand what is symbolic and what is literal. Third deadly sin in Bible reading is ignoring the historic and cultural context of the Bible. Just because God called Elijah to confront King Ahab and Queen Jezebel and the prophets of Baal. And just because he called him to do that, and then he sent fire, consumed his sacrifice. It doesn't mean that I or anybody else uh, go down to a city hall and say to a pagan mayor, Mayor, bring your bull out here and let's see if we can have context. No, no. God was speaking and using 
a certain man at a certain time for a certain purpose. What do we learn from it? That our God is a mighty God. That all the so-called God, or the Baal, or Ashtaroth, or Ashtaroth, they're not really gods at all. And that is the point that the Scripture would teach us, not that we would go and do like Elijah did. Fourth deadly sin about Bible reading. Be sure to get a good translation of the Bible. In fact, I would encourage you to have maybe two or three in front of you as you're studying the Scripture, because as you read one or two or three, you will get the meaning much better. You don't have to go to seminary, but sometimes these translations will give you a real feel for that. Otherwise, you'll be like this lady who absolutely pestered her pastor by telling him that there are perfect people other than Jesus Christ. And the pastor was just tearing his hair every Sunday. She comes and says, there are so other, the Bible said there are perfect people other than Jesus. And he said, ma'am, Jesus is the only one who was born according to the will of God. He's born of a virgin. And no matter what he says, no, 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 the Bible said there are some perfect people other than Jesus. Because she was only reading King James' Bible. There's nothing against King James. Listen to me. <laughs> there are some people think that this is the, the translation that Paul used. They really do. It's good enough for some Paul. It's good enough for me. <laughs> Listen, I've seen everything through the years. In fact, there's some pious people call it the St. James Virgin. I said, well, King James was far from being saint, but doesn't matter. But finally, when the pastor said, well, where is it in the Bible? She said, Psalm 37, verse 37. It says, Mark the perfect man. Well, if she had read a different translation, she would have discovered that the words are, Notice, but in the old Elizabethan English, it said, Mark, notice the blameless man. Fifth deadly sin about reading the Bible is you must avoid at any cost reading into the Bible what you want to read into it. Oh, my goodness, that is the curse of the age, I'm telling you. I mean, I have known preachers who just have one theme, and it doesn't matter what text they use, they go to their hobby horse, the theme that they're preaching from. <laughs> but that's dangerous. That is extremely dangerous. I know there are some people who say, well, I open the Bible, and whatever my eyes fall on, that's the text for me. That is the wrong way of reading the Bible. Back in the 60s in my hometown, we had a wonderful Canadian man, nice man, really was, the problem is, he couldn't preach his way out of a wet Kleenex. And he came as a missionary. And it frustrated the elders and the leaders, and finally they went over to him, and they said, would you share your testimony with us and tell us what really caused you to come 5,000 miles away? And uh, they didn't say, because you can't preach your way out of wet Kleenex, but they, <laughs> they kind of want to know, how did God speak to him? How did God call him? So he said, well, one morning, I was so frustrated. I just lost my job, and I was depressed. I was discouraged. I had no direction in my life. And so I opened the Bible, and my eyes fell on the text that says, flee to Egypt. <laughs> and so here I am. <laughs> well, that was a, a command to Joseph and Mary to take baby Jesus and escape from Herod's abortion mill that he was killing all the babies. It was not for this man. It was for Joseph, Mary. Well, you get the point. Six. I'm moving quickly. The sixth deadly sin about Bible reading is this. 
Don't think ever that you're brilliant enough to understand the Scripture without the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7. Reflect on what I'm saying. Here it comes. For the Lord will give you insight into all things. You see, I have never opened the Scripture in the early hours in the morning every day as I wake up and I start with the Word of God without praying, Holy Spirit, open my eyes that I may see wonderful truth from Your Word. Illuminate my mind so that I can learn from Your Word what You want me to learn. Otherwise, the Bible will become either just an intellectual exercise in reading it, or we just twist the words to make it what you want it to make. Finally, number seven, failing to apply what you have just read in the Scripture. I know, I know, I know it takes time to do that. It takes time. You cannot microwave the Scripture. You cannot microwave application. And I know this is the age of social media. We just don't have an attention span. We have really taken all of that into our reading of the Scripture. But, beloved, you will not grow, you will not learn, and you will not apply the Word of God if you're constantly in a hurry. If you have to wake up half an hour early, go to bed half an hour later. A.B. Simpson said, God has hidden every precious thing in such a way that it is a reward to the diligent a prize to the earnest, and a disappointment to the slothful soul. A nut is hidden in a thorny case. A pearl is buried beneath the waves of the sea. The gold is imprisoned in the rocky bosom of the mountain. The gem is found only after crushing of the rock that encapsulates it. The very soil gives its harvest as a reward to the labor of a faithful farmer. Henry Ford even used to say, cut your own wood and you warm yourself twice. You warm yourself cutting the wood, and then you warm yourself later, a second time when you burn the wood. Now, beloved, to read the Bible for its maximum effect, for its maximum impact upon your life, you must avoid those seven deadly mistakes. But then I want to go on to give you very quickly three questions that you must ask yourself as you read and heed and obey the Word of God very quickly. The first question to ask yourself is, what does this part of the Bible that I'm reading say to the original readers of it, because each one has a context. It was written or said to people at a certain time. So you must ask the question, what did it mean to the original reader, the first person who read it, to whom it was written? Secondly, what is the real meaning of this passage that I'm reading? And thirdly, how can I apply this to my life? Let's look at them very, very quickly. What did it mean to the original reader? 
We have been seeing how the Bible is written by 40 uh, individuals and, and in a span of 1,600 years, and yet it says the same thing. It's one theme. Old Testament says Jesus is coming. The New Testament says He's here. There you allow the Holy Spirit to guide your thoughts. Just as the Holy Spirit guided the thoughts and the hands of the writers of the Bible. For example, let me give you an example. Moses was speaking to the Israelites who for 400 years were up to their eyeballs in idolatry of Egypt. They knew very little about Yahweh. It's just what they heard through oral tradition. And so they really had very little knowledge. So Moses speaking to people who did not know who Yahweh is or experience His power as they did later when they crossed the Red Sea and gone into the wilderness— On the other hand, a thousand years later, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, remember God did this, God did this, God did this. So they knew Yahweh, and yet they turned their backs on Him. They saw Him perform miracles before their eyes, and yet they wanted to worship Baal. And so Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they're talking to rebellious people versus what Moses was doing. They rejected God's instruction. They rejected God's command. Or look at the New Testament. The Apostle Paul has written to many churches, different cities, Philippi, Corinth, Thessalonians. But each letter was addressing and giving answers to certain problems that that church was facing. He was dealing with a specific problem and giving them biblical and godly answers. So it is very important to know what the problem was and what the solution is. Secondly, you have to ask yourself, what does the Bible mean by what it says? Make no mistake about it. The reason today many people reject the Bible, they never really read it, but they reject the Bible as the Word of God because it runs contrary to man's nature. It really does. The Bible is counterculture. For example, The world says, socket to your enemy, right? And we say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is very natural, right? I mean, that's the very nature says, yes, socket to your enemy. (laughs) And then Jesus comes in and said, love your enemy. What? Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. See, the world says, that's bonkers. The world says, look out for number one. That's all that matters, number one. But Jesus comes in and He says, whoever tries to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. Listen to me. (laughs) It does not make sense to the world. That's why they reject the Bible. It does not make sense to them. And it is laziness on the part of preachers to say, well, if it's hard to understand, if it's hard to accept, reject it. You don't have to accept it. Move on. Take what you like. Leave out what you don't like. That's laziness. Instead of we are called of God as preachers and teachers of the Word of God to explain the difficult things. And that is why you must always ask the question, what does the Bible mean by what it says? So how do I know this? Well, first of all, ask the Holy Spirit. I already said that twice. Ask the Holy Spirit to illumine your mind 
And he will. Ask him. He will do it. Secondly, use a good, trusted commentary on the Bible. A good, trustworthy commentary. Keep it handy. Look up. If you get into an issue that's so difficult and you, you don't know, just look it up. Double-check things. Don't just take it for granted. Make sure you're on the right track. Thirdly and lastly, the final question to ask yourself is this. How can this apply to me? How does this apply to me? When I'm facing problems in my business, in my work, my home, how is this going to apply to me? It's very important. It's very important. If you are like me, I spend the first fruit of the day with the Lord and the Bible open in front of me. I found that most mornings, as I open the Word of God and I read it, the Holy Spirit begins to speak to my heart, Michael, this Word is for you. This encouragement is for you. This rebuke is for you. This challenge is for you. This warning. Oh, have I ever got more of those than I can count? This warning is for you. This exhortation is for you. Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers of yesteryear. And just in case you think this man piled degrees after his name, he dropped out of school at the age of 15. He taught himself Greek and Hebrew. He taught himself the Word of God. He allowed the Holy Spirit to open his mind, to open his heart, and teach him. He written hundreds of books. Most remarkable man that I have ever read about. Here's what he said about the Bible. He said, this book has wrestled with me. This book has smitten me. This book has confronted me. This book smiled upon me. This book frowned on me. This book clasped my hands. This book warmed my heart. This book weeps with me and sings with me. This book worships with me, and it preaches to me. It maps my going and my coming. It is a young man's best companion, and it is still my morning and evening chaplain. Beloved, as I conclude this series of messages, I want to tell you there are a lot of Bible apps out there, lots of Bible reading plans that can be overwhelming. The Bible says that in the last days, there are going to be a famine. Listen carefully. But that famine is not going to be for bread or water. It's going to be a famine for the Word of God. And when I hear that only 18% of Christians read the Word of God regularly, I can tell you the famine has begun. And so, it is the burden of my life, and the reason for living is to equip you for those days that are coming upon us, and they're coming faster than we think, faster than we anticipate it. So, get ready for the spiritual battle. The Lord is on your side. And the good news is we have read the last chapter, and it says that we win. Father, I thank You. I praise You for Your Word. I thank You for preserving it for all these years. Oh, people burnt it, shredded it, destroyed it, and yet You kept it to this day. You preserved it from many despots and from careless 
church leaders. And Lord, I pray that you preserve it in the heart of your children. Teach us afresh as we look at the day of Jesus to be drawing near, that we would learn to read, heed, and obey, so that we be like the wise virgins who had the oil in their lamps and they were ready, and not be like the foolish ones. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.